Well, good morning. Have you ever uh, had one of those times in life where whatever happened um, has just like stopped you in your tracks and made you reevaluate, you know, kind of where you've, what you've done with your life, where you're going, the purpose, these kind of things? Um, sometimes that happens with either a death in the family uh, that can cause you to take pause, um, something serious going on, uh, or something as goofy as a birthday. Uh, Bethany had an entire year of that. I got permission to share this. So, um, but she was had turned 29 uh, a few years ago, and she thought she was 28. And I said, "No, no, you're you're 29." And she, no, I'm 28. And when 30s getting close, and it took like weeks to even convince her that she was 29. And then once I did, like the entire year was going, "Oh my gosh, I'm getting old. What have I done with my life?" And it was this whole like. Come on, honey, let's go. We're, <laughs> we're doing okay here yet. But uh, we've got those points in life where God gives us that insight just to kind of pause because you can get going in the grind of life and just be pushed forward and you're just doing the busy stuff. And then occasionally you get that brakes, get pumped, and everybody's okay, okay, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What have I done? Is this, am I on the right path? Um, am I even doing what I'm supposed to do? And essentially, this section of Scripture, uh, as I was studying it, we're uh, in Philippians chapter 13, and we're doing verses 12 through 16. And through this section, um, I was really struck with that, where we kind of had that moment, because Paul is talking about the past, of what I haven't done, what I haven't obtained, what I'm looking forward you know, behind, and then there's all this talk of pressing on, and that that we have to do in the present, and then there's the future goals of you know, what we're going to. So I felt like this was a good one to kind of step back. And so what we're going to do is when we get in those moments, we kind of wonder and look back of going like, okay, what, what is holding me back? Like, why am I not, you know, because I think we've all been there. If, if you lived a perfect life, then by all means, I would love to swap places with you <laughs> and hear how you did it. But um, I don't think any of us have, and we all have regrets. And wondering why things haven't gone the way that we hoped or what we could do to change and what's holding us back. So we're going to look through the past, the present, and the future, and then we're going to see what happens um, to those after God has a hand on them. And that. So when we look at the past, we find that um, the past can bind us. The past can hold us back, and it's almost like we have a chain and something that's that's holding us back if we've got things. And Paul talks about this. He's not yet obtained righteousness. He says in verse 12, uh, Christ has made me his own, but I've not yet obtained this. And in verse 13, he's talking about forgetting the past and all that because there's significant things that could hold you back um, from being able to move forward in life. And we've seen that with a lot of folks. Um, there's past moral failures. Uh, maybe you went through a divorce that wasn't on right terms. Maybe there was... You have a long checkered history of, you know, in and out of prison. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's abuse of some sort, um, some sort of failure that keeps tugging you back. And anytime you try to move forward, you hit that chain. Uh, there could be life failures. There could be a job loss uh, that keeps holding you back. There's uh, bad investments you might have made. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have stretched out and got this, and now it bit me. Um, deaths in the families, just discouragements that can happen along the way. Um, there can be things in the past that uh, 
maybe their successes, but they aren't helping in the future. Um, I get the picture of uh, Napoleon Dynamite and Uncle Rico and, you know, sitting in the diner, uh, 35 years old. Man, if they would just put me in, we'd have gone state. We'd have gone state. And just like, doesn't matter, bro. Like, let's move on. You're, you know, we're beyond that now. And that there can be past religious accomplishments. Maybe, you know, hey, I walked the aisle and boy, I prayed that prayer. And going like, uh, well, that was 20 years ago. You know, what, what are we doing now? What's, you know, so we can put a stake on some stuff that may not be firm. Uh, you could typecast yourself. You could be like, ah, you know what? That's just the way I've always been. That's the way I'll always be. That's just who I am. Okay, you know, that, that can hold you back. Some uh, past family relationships, and that can hold you back. Some expectations that family might have of you, that you're just bound by that. Um, so when Paul talks about, um, in verse 13, he talks about forgetting the past, you know, we would look at it and go, okay, well, what, what did he have? What, what baggage was he carrying that could have held him back? And we walked through, uh, and Matt did a couple weeks ago, and, and earlier in chapter 3, uh, Paul went through his resume and basically said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, I'm born in the right tribe, I did the right stuff, I checked all the right boxes, uh, but that ended up being the wrong thing because it's headed in the wrong direction. Uh, and for zeal, I persecuted the church. Hello? I mean, if you can go in the exact wrong direction, that's the way. You're, you're killing people that are serving God, and that, that's about as bad as it can get. I mean, our screw-ups are one thing, but we look at that. So, in Paul wrote this letter, even after 30 years of being a Christian and being a believer and that. So, he's still writing this at the point, you know, he's founded so many churches, he's done so many things, and even after 30 years, he's talking about having not obtained righteousness and having not grasped that yet. And you're just going like, Paul, dude, you wrote half the New Testament. You know, God used you in such a mighty way, and you haven't grasped this. And so we look at that, and the lesson that we can learn from it is that we're not perfect. And Paul wasn't perfect. We're not perfect. We just let that sink in that as we have those moments of pause and we kind of look back and we just go, man, I really screwed that up. Uh Uh-huh. That's okay. Like, everybody has done that. Everybody has looked. We are not perfect. We have not arrived. We've not gotten there. And that's okay. It's okay to do this. Life is not going to be easy. And that for all of us, we're going to mess some stuff up. So the real question is, obviously, Paul had a really checkered past, but somehow he figured out how to keep going and how to move on. Because that, to me, if I had had that past, I'd it would be so hard for me to move forward because you're like, God, I killed the church. I, I killed them. Like, how, how are you supposed to use me? How, are, how does this work? Like, I have no credibility whatsoever, and I just can't be used. I mean, that's, that's where you would be left. But the thing is, how do we break the chains of the past, and how did Paul do it? Is you deal with it. You face it head on. You settle the account with God. Bring it to him because you're bringing nothing else. Just be like, God, here is the mess I made, and here's what I've screwed up, here's what I've done. Bring it to him, accept his forgiveness, and trust by faith that we're able to move on. And Paul did that because you look at, he wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17, which just talks about we are a new creation. So at the point of salvation, our past, we're made new. We're given something fresh. We're given something new. 
And then he also wrote Romans 8, um, chapter, uh, verse 31 to 39, uh, which is a huge section here to be able to put an anchor and, and a nail into your past, which says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not also give us graciously all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who was raised at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We regard, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. If that ain't an, a chain-breaking anchor in the past, I don't know what else. That verse covers it. You give it to Christ and it's gone. You don't forget about it. You know it's there. You're aware of it. But its power over you and the power to hold you back is gone. And again, there, there's people that will try to find all kinds of loopholes to get out of that and be like, well, it says that nobody can snatch you out of his hand, but what if I jump? <sighs> yeah, come on. You know, it's just like th the point is that once Christ has you, you're his. And these ties that hold us back are, are gone. So if we can get clear of the past that we have, now we're left to deal with the present. Like, okay, great. I've done that. Now what are we doing in the present? What the present that slows us down. So we get stuck into the grind of life. Uh, again, Paul in the section, verse 12 says, press on, I'm not perfect. Verse 13, I've not yet made it my own. Verse 14, I press on. So there, there's a lot of struggle and there's a lot of effort that's put in these sections where it just kind of goes, okay, all right, well, that's telling us that life's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy pressing forward and moving on and that. So what opposition are we going to face here? And that is, as we're now in the present, let's say we've cleared up the past and now we look forward to like, okay, now what do I do? Now where do I go? What do I do with this? What, what is holding us back? Uh, and as, as I've looked through this and kind of studied my own life in that, um, I think one of the biggest ones is the fear of man. And that's a huge one, and it's one of those that, you know, there may be some big guys in here and you just go, look, I ain't afraid of no man. I'm going to come up and I'll whoop a fella. And that's like, well, that's great. Well, let's change the approach a little bit. So, okay. I, I don't doubt that one of y'all could whoop me pretty good, and even if I could whoop you, y'all have so many guns, you got more guns than I got teeth, so... Like, I whoop you today, you kill me tomorrow. So let's take that off the table, and let's start to get a little personal. What if I stopped the sermon and just said, eh, you know what, it's your turn. All right, fill me in. I, I got the first three verses, now who's next? Uh-oh, is anybody nervous? I might actually call on them. <laughs> All right, we're among friends here, too. Like, I love y'all. This is casual. I feel like I go in any of your living rooms, but... 
All of a sudden now, I've crossed the barrier. I'm down the aisle. This is getting scary. I might call on somebody. I've got a microphone in my hand. You know, so that's part of what we're looking at is with the fear of man, there's aspects of it that, you know, we can certainly confront and it's not a big deal, but the anxiety that comes along with stuff like that and where we just go like, uh, what are people going to think of me? What? I'm going to screw up. What if I say that? That's what I'm talking about. That's where we get where that really holds us back from moving forward when we're constantly wondering what somebody's going to judge us for, what they're going to going to say. I mean, that, that's definitely when I come up here, you know, I'm, I'm operating outside of my gifting here. Like, this is not, obviously, I am not Matt Brown. I'm not pacing around, getting you guys in laughs and, you know, big personality and all that. This, this is beyond what I'm normally used to, but, you know, you have to face that and overcome it. Um, again, not saying any of y'all have to come up and speak or do something like that, but, you know, there's, there's definitely things in our day-to-day -day walk where the fear of man uh, is kind of that primary thing that holds us back, that we're afraid of what somebody else is going to think. Uh, most of the time, we don't even know. That's our in our own heads. And that there's a fear of failure that what if I try something and it doesn't work out? What if I go buy that house and then the market tanks? What if I go shoot for this job or, or whatever and I don't get it. You know, what what happens? I'm, I'm afraid to fail. Um, I know for me, just being tired has held me back from stuff. I'm running crazy, doing stuff all day long, and I, I see something that I should do, and I'm just like, oh, okay, God, I'm, I'm kind of done. Like, I'm, I've had it. I'm tired. And that, that can definitely be something. Um, definitely don't know what to do. Uh, that's been another paralyzer that we look out and just go, all right, God, use me. Let's go somewhere I'd, and do something. I don't know. You know Where we go, if we don't have that vision and direction, that'll hold us back. Um, pressures of the world. Um, you, know, you may want to witness. You may want to talk about somebody, but you're in a situation where you know it's adversarial, where you know that could cost you a friend, that could cost you an opportunity could cost you a job. Um, lack of time, you know, kind of goes with being tired. Uh, obviously, there's balances that we have to have in our life that, you know, God, we have to do the things of the Lord, but then we are called to stewardship. We are called to, you know, our work. We're called to manage things in our lives, our time, our families, our resources. Um, so there is a balance that goes with that. But a lack of time can be something. And, that, and another one that kind of hit me is that we're, God allows us to get away with marginal living, um, sometimes for long periods where we can live just eh, and live in that for a long time. And that can hold us back because that can be an excuse. You know, sometimes we do things and realize like, oh, the lightning bolt didn't come okay, this must be okay, and God must be all right, but we've got to not assume that God's tolerance is God's approval. And so just being comfortable and being okay and just assuming like, ah, yeah, this is all right. I, I feel good about myself and my life, and that's good in some regards, but then it's not in others that you know, we should be you know, pressed forward and wanting to do stuff and, and that for the Lord. So when we look at Paul's present situation, 
And we just go, okay, well, what was, if he let go of the past and he's moving forward, what did his life look like as he was pressing forward in life? I mean, obviously, if God's with you, then Red Sea's parted, Paul just was ushered into town with, you know, bells and whistles, and everybody loved him, and they accepted the gospel and everything. Uh, probably not. So, 2 Corinthians, he lists this out. Um, says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. They go less one because 40 lashes is supposed to kill somebody. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was drift to sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. In toil, hardship, through many sleepless nights, and thirst, and hunger, often without food, and cold, and exposure. And apart from all those things, there's a daily pressure on me, the anxiety of all the churches. Youch. Okay. So, again, part of his past, but we're kind of working with that. That's just his daily life. And again, he wrote this letter in prison. So, you know, he, he didn't have roses and sunshine here as soon as he got saved and was moved forward. So, Obviously, there's some way that we can break through our present situation and be able to push forward. And that what Paul usually used, um, and you'll see it in a lot of his letters, is that he leaned on athletics in that and would use those kind of metaphors to talk about how you press on and, and use that as an example. And a lot of times the Bible will use something that's clear to illustrate the unclear. So with athletics, we kind of get it. We kind of know what's going on um, and that, but what we might not know is, okay, how does this apply to our personal walk and in Christian living and what does that look like? And that our issue is when we talk about athletics, again, he's coming out of a Greek culture, and so we think more of the Olympic Games and that kind of stuff when we're thinking that. We're in 21st century America culture. We're looking at team sports, you know, like, man, how can I be LeBron James or how can I be, you know, Tom Brady or, or something like that? And it's a very team sport oriented thing. And then the other assumption is that once we start talking about that stuff, like, oh, wow, achievement and glory and all that, um, I don't know about you all, but I haven't exactly had a giant athletic accomplishment in the last few decades. Like, it, it gets to be removed from me, and it becomes, uh, the problem is now it becomes like, okay, we're the watchers, we're the audience, we're the 80,000 people in the stands watching the four guys or the ten guys or whoever it is that are really good at this, and they've trained, and it's like, I get it, you got to train real hard, and you got to work hard, but that ain't me, and that's our disconnect of our culture and, and what it was back then, whereas what we've got to think of it as, um, because in our Christian life, we're all on the field, we're all doing something, we're all striving forward, and the other problem is we're not competing against other people, we're competing against ourselves. And that, that's where these metaphors kind of break down a little bit and our culture difference, you know, comes to light is that it, it's always about number one when we're thinking of it, like, I'm going to compete, I'm going to be the winner of everything. And that, well, in the Christian life, we're not, you know, I'm not competing against Billy Graham. He had a, you know, I, I'm not preaching to stadiums, and therefore I just lost, so why go forward? Well, guess what? Billy Graham had an exceptionally unique calling. You know, when, when Moses was out there, there was one Moses and there was four million Israelites. And they were all called to move forward and 
in that. So we can't be looking left and right on that. Um, in that. So when we look forward, and how do we proceed forward, and how do we now go, like, I just can't imagine myself, again, like, going forward and doing something great and some huge accomplishment in that. Um, I had thought this, um, and I just had the bug about five years ago. I ran my first half marathon. I say my first; it's going to be my only. But uh, and that, so yeah, don't don't think of me as some great athlete here. But um, so I set out, and I was just like, you know what? That seems impossible to me. That seems, you know, because when I go out and run, and I tried to run, I made it a quarter mile, and I I literally almost puked. Like I'm huffing and puffing. I'm on a treadmill, too. That you know, even worse. So huffing along, and I look down, and you realize, like, man, I must have gone five miles. And you, you see point two. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Holy. And I look back, and it's like when I started, the deck's deck stacked against me. I'm, I'm 33 years old, and I started my first one five years ago. Couldn't run a quarter mile. And I've got genetically, I've got bad knees in the family. So it's just like all these bad ideas stacked up. And that, and so to do it, what I did was just got out and I said, "Okay, I'm going to hit that quarter mile." Then the next day, well, two days later, because I was so sore after trying that needing today, then I was just like, "Okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to get that quarter mile," and I did it. It's like, "Ooh, okay." Then the next day I took off. I wasn't as sore, but day after, can I do point three? Can I do point five? Can I do? a whole mile, and run the whole thing. That's crazy. And so it started stretching out and stretching out and stretching out, and then I just realized, like, oh, my goodness, like, I could actually do this and set a goal, and I was just like, okay, I don't care where I place. That doesn't matter for me when I go do the actual run of the thing. I want to finish, and I want to run the whole thing. I don't want to stop. And and by the way, don't if you ever get that idea, stop when you drink Gatorade. I... Uh, took about a, a whole cup of that nasally and in my eyes and because I'm running you're trying to take yeah bad I don't don't do that but um, yeah so finished it and I can't tell you the the feeling of accomplishment that was because again it was did the impossible and I, I looked down they give you a, a little medal and that they give everybody medal so you know don't feel special but you know, look down, you got your time on it and all that, and then you get your results. And I could look at it one of two ways. And I look at the results, and I got number 2,800 and something in that. And you're just like, that's terrible. <laughs> like, how, how is that? You're terrible. But then you look at it and go, okay, there's 30,000 people going through this event. And then you realize, like, whoa, that's top 10%. Like, Dang, okay, I can do this, all right. And so you feel like you've gotten somewhere. Now, what I'm not going to tell you is probably half of that field was the cancer walkers. And so we're going to ignore that, but we're going we're gonna to think I'm up against the Kenyans here, but we're going to ignore the fact they were doing the whole marathon and less that I did the half, so forget about that. But uh, So we don't need to compare ourselves like that because, again, I look at some of those Kenyan guys and – their average running speed for the whole 26 miles is 13 miles an hour. That's the average. That's not the top. Average. And I'm going, I would struggle to ride a bike next to these guys for 26 miles. And they're cruising. And it's just like, so if we compare laterally like that, it is so discouraging. And that, But you have to look at things and go, God, 
gives gifts on different levels and gives different opportunities uh, where, again, I could try to force my way into something and I'm going to hit a brick wall and it's going to be awfully hard, you know, because I'm going to compete against, you know, let, let's say I was trying to do Sermon of the Year and I've got Matt Brown up here who, you know, could wing something better than I could take a month to prepare for. And it's just like, that's not the point. That's not what we're doing. You know, it, it's Matt has got his calling, his lane, his, th you know, objective that God's put in front of him. And he's got to run that the best he can. I've got mine. You've got yours. And that's the point. That's the Christian life of what we're looking at. And that's why it's a discipline. So we're all training like that top athlete, but our results are going to be different. Uh, and again, you look at Matt's fantastic. I love him. He's hitting every mark that I could ask for as an elder and all that. But he's not a pastor of a megachurch. And you know, we're not in front of 5,000 people. We're not. Is that a failure for him? No. You know, is he faithfully serving the Lord in the area that he's been given? Yes. That's what we're shooting for is we're look, looking for faithfulness, and it requires discipline. You know, so again, if we're going to train ourselves in the Christian life, and as an athlete would, it just takes discipline. It takes, you know, saying no to the sweets, saying no to, you know, spare time. Like, hey, I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm not going to work out. Well, guess what? That other guy, he's working out, and he's who you're going to compete against. But for us, it's going I'm competing it myself, so the more I sit out, the more I'm hurting myself in my walk and that. So that's just something that we have to look for. So as we try to break through the present and some of the mindsets that we have to how, and we'll hit this a little bit more later, but um, so what, do we, what does this then look like as we go forward? How do we you know, proceed forward in the present and, and kind of move there? Um, a couple of points that I had found was, um, I'll say this a couple times because it's kind of weird, but be willing to have a contented dissatisfaction. So what do I mean by that? Be willing to have a contented dissatisfaction. That seems like an oxymoron here of you know, two words that mean opposite things. So what I mean by that is be happy where you are in what God's provided you in and the giftings he give you, the family, all that stuff. And at the end of the day, are you happy? yes, this is great, but I'm dissatisfied in the sense that I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep improving. I'm going to keep moving forward. Uh, you know, same thing with the marathon. I, I could have stopped at two miles and just been like, hey, I ran two miles. That's awesome. Like, cool. Yeah. And that and that would have been okay. If that's all that God, if that's the ceiling that God gave me and that's the goal, you know, as far as I could hit, I'm happy. That's great. You know, I'm doing something. But if I look at it and go, but I can, I can push a little bit more. I can get a little bit more. Where can I take this? How can I move this just a little bit more? So it's finding that, and we're going to find in chapter four, um, Paul's really going to hammer that where, um, again, I hope Matt touches on it well, my pet peeve verse of, I can do all things who Christ who strengthens me is coming up in Philippians 4.13, uh, which is the banner verse for anything. Like, I could do all things, like win this football game for, you know, because God has given me. The whole section's talking about contentment, guys, like being contented. Like, God can take your resources or give you resources, be happy, you know, is the point of that. So we're getting that. So we're going to, the Christian life is finding, it's a really weird balance of finding, like, I'm perfectly happy but what else can I be doing? And how else can I, I'm dissatisfied with staying put. 
um, but I'm happy with what I've got. Um, the other thing is, um, at the end of the day, moving forward to be able to break through the present, you have to embrace the awkward. Like, And what I mean by that, you have to be willing to put yourself out there um, because the culture is going to have this comfort of you stay put, you do your own business, you stay in your bubble, and we're good. Like, I understand you over there, and you do that. As soon as you cross out of that and break out and start getting in people's business, and again, I'm not saying being stupid. You know, we don't have to stand on a street corner and smack them with a Bible or something, but, you know, we have to embrace the awkward. And what could that look like in church? That could be inviting somebody to lunch. That, that's a little bit strange, you know, to some folks. Like, hey, I've got to run out the door. I've got to do this thing. And, hey, would you come to lunch with us? If not today, maybe let's just schedule it this week. You know, maybe you didn't like the ambush here on Sunday morning, but, you know, maybe we can come over, meet out sometime on Wednesday or, you know, something like that. And figure that out or and give that time to, hey, tell me your story. How did you get here? What, you know, why, why do you love this church? Or what are you getting out of it? Or what are you not getting out of it? What... And get build that relationship uh, because that, again, you have to, if you wait for somebody else to do that, you'll be waiting a long time because that's just not the norm. That's not the normal thing. And that, that's something I would love for to be in our culture because, um, again, people can't always tell you yes in that, that, oh, yeah, let's go. Let's, it's like, I got a little kid. And, again, I can say yes to anything, but we're going to pay the price for it. So <laughs> it can be, yeah, let's go, and let's have a miserable time together because she's without a nap and she's cranky. and you know. So we got to figure out timing. But being willing to put yourself out there, and it's okay if people say no. It's all right. It's not a big deal. What are, They're going to leave with understanding the fact that you're friendly and you care. Okay, we never hooked up. That's fine. But you know I tried, and you know that we care. And so as a church, I'd love for that to be you know, part of our culture. Um, but the other thing, even if we can fight through the, the present, sometimes the future can overwhelm us. And sometimes we start looking out at the future. Uh, and again, planning and all that stuff is part of my DNA, and I just can't, it, it's, struggle, it's a struggle for me to live in the moment and just kind of sit here and be like, ah, okay, I don't care what happens. I'm, I'm always thinking four steps ahead of like, all right, if I go here and I do, you know, and that, so the future can overwhelm us, and, and we start asking questions, what if I screw up? What if I don't have enough? You know, if you're facing retirement or a family or a marriage or something, and yeah, just I'm not in a good spot. I, I just what if I don't have enough finances to pull it off? Um, what if I make the wrong choices? That's a big one. Um, I know as Christians we can get paralyzed with the fear that what if I make a relatively neutral life decision that pulls me in the opposite direction of God's will? Uh, I I had month long wrestling matches internally with that of where we're a couple of times here when we've made our moves to different houses was just because it if you go this way all of a sudden you start getting further away from this stuff and you're cutting ties and okay what if God had me in this spot to build this relationship with this neighbor and that was my calling and if I move over here I've just cut that off and now this person's going to hell because I didn't talk to him and you know this is going we get worked up with that stuff, and again, I, this is recent as a couple of years ago, so again, don't think, you know, I've got this all figured out. What if I don't choose God's will? 
Um, or what if God won't deliver me this time? You know, we look at back in Israel, you read in the Old Testament, and you, you look through that stuff and you just go, every time they face a juncture, you're, you're kind of smacking your forehead, just going, what are you people, th- you walked through the Red Sea, like why are you worried, why, you know, it's water, it's food, you know, and they start facing these crises, and they just like, God just miraculously parted an ocean, let you walk through, killed the army behind you, supplied you with food on the ground, what else do you need, folks? Um, but we find that where the future can overwhelm us, that we hit those brick walls of going, I can't figure out how God is going to fix this. Therefore, better for us to die in Egypt. What? You know, how? And that. So when we look out at the future, and that, and Paul kind of hit it on the end of his uh, what was me thing in Corinthians there, of where he's kind of laying it out of like, man, I've been through all this tough stuff. So what what would have discouraged Paul? especially at the end, he, he says that uh, the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. So you figure this guy, non-cell phone era, is out there planting churches all around the pagan world that wants everybody dead. And so he's got a dozen or so churches that he's out planted. Oh, man, is, is the elders going to take this over? Did, did a false gospel creep in here? Do I have to deal with an issue here? Oh, man, is this one going to make it? And all that, he could be asking, man, what if I planned it in the wrong city? What if I didn't plan a church in the right place? What if I, you know, I'm trying to make it to Rome, but I can't make it for some reason? What if maybe I'm screwing this up? You know, what if they didn't respond to the message? What if I go to jail? You know, Paul had all these kind of things about the future that could have shut him down, and rightfully so. I mean, hey, any of us facing, you know, one of the things on his list would be enough to shut us down. In that, but you look at it, he just kept going with that. And so, how do we overcome that fear of the future and be able to press on? And that, and there's a couple of verses, and that just in, in a sense, we're trusting in God's character and promise, you know, to be able to do that. So, if He released us from the past, He gives us the drive and the reason to press forward in the present, what makes you think? he's going to drop the ball in the future. And why would he leave that as something that, oh, ah, man, I, I had two out of three, and boy, you really screwed that up. Like, I, I thought I had you pointing in the right direction. No, that's not how God operates. Romans 8, 28, and, for, and we know that those, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Philippians 1, 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll bring it to completion at the day of Christ, Jesus Christ. So just there, there, there's hundreds of verses we could pull out, but just there that says, I've done a work, I'm going to do a work, and I'm going to finish it. So we don't have to be paralyzed by wondering if we're going to screw up God's will in our life by making some goofy decisions of, you know, we look at Paul, he was trying to get to Rome, and there's places where it says, and the angel deflected. He turned me away. Great. You know, that, that's a pretty good sign. Don't go right now. That's fine. So you can proceed. And God works that way. He's going to keep you in bounds, and you don't have to worry about, you know, oh, I'm supposed to bend up here. This is where my calling is, or this is where God's going. Look at Paul. Now he's in jail. You think that was in the, the plan of evangelism? Like, hey, I, I think I can be most effective in prison. Like, no. 
But what did he do? He witnessed to people in prison. He's like, okay, God, you have got me here. You could have got me out. And there's some pretty kooky stuff in Acts of when he did get people out. And, you know, Peter basically having this dream vision thing. He's in jail, and then all of a sudden he's on the street just going like, oh, that was real. Okay. And there he goes. So God can do that stuff, but he didn't. And so Paul said, I'm here. What do I do? Okay, this guy is chained to my leg. <laughs> You're going to hear about Jesus. And lets him have it. That, so you take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you, not what could be, should be, or you think you should be in your mind and that. So as we look at this, and in, in, in the Christian life is that whole thing comes on its head. The past that binds us, the future that, or the present that slows us down, the future that overwhelms us, all gets flipped on our head. This is stuff, again, the wrestling match is real. I'm not saying that it's not, but as a believer, everything gets flipped up on its head. And all of a sudden, the past that used to bind us now reassures us. So we look back at the past, the worst that we ever were was overcome by Christ. So the worst thing you've ever done has been overcome by Christ. And again, if you think you can be worse than Paul, go ahead and start killing the church and see if you can one-up that, you know. And Paul moved on and did amazingly great things in, in the Lord. So the worst that we were was overcome by Christ. And looking back ought to give us confidence and courage to be able to proceed forward in the future. Uh, because, again, in the Old Testament, that's what they did. And, again, you look at this, you, you look at there's big sections of the Old Testament where you're just going like, bro, I just read this eight chapters ago, and you just told me the whole story again. And you just, there's times where they'll repeat some of the history. And the point is, not that you're an idiot and didn't get it the first time, the point is you get to those junctions, and then you start looking back and go, man, this is really perplexing. I don't know how God's going to, you know, we're two million people wandering around the wilderness. How is he going to give us water? Guess what? You're serving the God. Remember when he got us through the Red Sea, that party you walked through and then killed the enemy. Armies, you got through, oh, you got hungry. Guess what? He made bread on the ground. You didn't like that for a while, so guess what? He sent quail. He, and they review this history because it, it's a review of God's faithfulness of similar trials. And you look back and go, God was faithful there. I screwed up, but God was faithful through it. And we, we use that as encouragement for the future as we look at and go, okay, I'm at another one of those crazy times. But I don't know what in the world's going to happen or, or how we're proceeding forward, but God was faithful. And I can expect him to be faithful now. His good work is not yet complete in me, and he's going to complete it all the way. You know, God is going to finish it. So the past reassures us. It, it lets us see fruit from our work. It lets us see growth. It lets us see that our faith survived a trial. Because again, if you're sitting here and you're going through something, chances are you went through it and you're still here. You know, your faith has survived. That's the important, that perseverance is important. First uh, Peter talks about that a lot. Um, and that the present, instead of slowing us down, should excite us. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Whoa. So the, the passage before this is, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. I'm saved. Now as we move forward, 
Not only has God released us to go do stuff in the present, but he's put little nuggets out there and put stuff in our path. Because guess what? He knows where you're going to go. Even these weird decisions you don't know, like, oh, if I buy this house, I'm going to mess this up. Guess what? He knows where you're going. And he's going to put stuff in your path to go do. And so it, it should be exciting that we look for those God opportunities of, okay, what door is he going to open? What, okay, I'm going to get in this conversation. Maybe that leads, you know, somebody's encouragement or somebody's salvation. But in Matthew 6:33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And it just talks about the whole section of Matthew 6 is on worry and anxiety of, uh, what am I going to do to eat? What am I going to do to wear stuff? And basically God just wipes that off the table and it's just like, focus on my things and I'm going to add the rest to you. So if you get just bound up and just stuck because it's like, I don't know, I'm going to pay this bill and I've got this thing and I've got this person that's you know, yakking at me and I, I don't know how to set it aside, seek the things of God and you watch the weird stuff that happens that fixes the rest. And it's nutty. I've heard stories from folks that, you know, again, they just get random checks in the mail or, you know, something happens where it's like, oh, you've had this account that was dead for 20 years and now we have to send you back a thousand. Just weird stuff. And again, not saying that's going to happen to everybody every time, but you just watch as you pursue God's will. And you look at Paul, he's still traveling. He's still witnessing the guards and, you know, doing things as he's going. And then the future, instead of overwhelming us, will motivate us. Because um, Paul in this section is talking all about, you know, I press forward to the goal of the upward prize, of the, um, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. So what what is this upward call in what are we pressing forward for? Um, and that the upward call of Christ is to become like him, is to seek his goals and his rewards, and to have that vision. And once we do, we take 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Um, this is like one of the passages that has just stuck with me for years. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 we do not lose heart, though, at, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things of the unseen are eternal. So did you guys catch that? This light and momentary affliction... What was light and momentary for Paul? Go back to that list of junk of beaten 40 times, you know, 40 lashes, thrown in prison, done it, shipwrecked, sold out by people. Done, this whole list of junk where you look at it, it's like, man, if I had to live that life, I don't know if I could make it. And Paul calls that light and momentary. So he could either be dismissing it and just going like, eh, whatever, it's light and momentary. And so you're either dismissing it or... The thing is, when it's put on the scale next to this other thing, the other thing just outweighs it so much that you're just like, eh, what a joke. And, that, and that's the point to make. Again, it, it's not to make light of your suffering, and it's not to brush it aside and just go like, oh, yeah, this is light momentary. It's not a big deal. No, it, it's legit. It's heavy. It's going to weigh you down. That's going to be hard to get through. 
but compared to eternity, it's light and momentary. And so if the suffering is that deep and that heavy, and again, what you're feeling is real, uh, we're not called to dismiss it and just be like, eh, whatever, I'm above this and I'm separated. No, you go through it. But the issue is we don't give enough weight to eternity. We don't give enough weight to the things that are coming. Um, I dare you to read the book of Revelation. I dare you to read through that. It's 21 chapters. Roll through it. And at the very end of it, and again, I, I can't set this verse up because it goes through all the end of the world stuff, and then you end up at the very end, and you have the scene after... You know, populations wiped out, all this crazy stuff going on. This scene that John writes down, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he will be his they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, beginning to the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of eternal life without payment. So that's what's coming. There's an end to it all. There's an end to it. The slate is wiped clean. We get rid of this sin-stained body. We get rid of this horrible world system that we're in. And again, there's joy. There's wonderful things that happen here, but it's all tainted. It's all corrupted with sin gets made new in the end. That's what we have to look forward to. We don't even understand what that's going to be like, you know, to have a thought without sin, to serve God without sin, to what that's going to mean. We have no idea in that, but <laughs> I know I want it. I know I want to be there for it. And that is motivation. You know, when we look back, let's get through this life doing what we can do. And again, who knows what that is? I have no idea. You know, you could be the one guy that gets the next Billy Graham saved, and that's your job. That's what you do. Great. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do that job. And that you don't have to have a resume, and usually the people that are touting their resumes of what all they've done, something ain't right. You know, there, there's something wrong in that process. So, uh, so the future's coming. The, the past doesn't have to hold us back. The present doesn't have to hold us back. And the future doesn't have to hold us back. And I think that's what Paul was getting at with this section of press on. Press on towards the goal of eternity. Press on. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for being so gracious with us as we proceed forward in life. Um, God, we're so feeble in our understanding. We're so uh, tossed to and fro by the wind. Um, God, sometimes it feels like we lack an anchor um, and that we can get confused, overwhelmed, um, not understanding what's going on, how things are working, what we're supposed to do. And God, you are so patient with us. Um, I think we, if anything, we lean towards assuming 
that you're angry and you're ready to snap at us, that you're ready to just looking for that opportunity for us to fail where you can roll your eyes and go, there he goes again, and that you're the exact opposite, God. I just pray that you would let that settle into our hearts. Um, Your word over and over and over speaks of your patience, your grace, your kindness towards us. Um, Like a loving parent with a small child, that messes up their drawing. You're, you take that drawing, you, you love it, you cherish it, you, instead of you know, wanting it to be better and that, God, but your gentle hand of correction. I just pray that you would uh, help us to confront and face the things of the past that hold us back. Um, give us these moments that make us take pause and help us to face those things head on, bring them to you. We can't face, we can't do it ourselves. God, but you're so much greater than any of that. Uh, These things that cause us fear and cause us hesitation here in the present, uh, just, again, I pray that you would give us a vision for the future that overcomes that, that um, we're willing to discipline ourselves and press on uh, towards that future. God, we thank you. In the name of Christ, we pray you. Amen.